0: Welcome back, everyone. Um, If you've been with us on our dead and company journey throughout the summer, thank you. If you have taken that part of our experience off and you're just coming back, welcome back. It feels good to be back with Dave doing a, a regular way, working man's pod.
1: Yeah, we haven't done this in a while.
0: I think it's been since April. So It's fun to be back talking about a new show. Whenever The Dead put out a new archival release, Dave and I will be here to talk about it. And the latest release, the Here Comes Sunshine box set from 1973 is what we're talking about today, specifically the last show in the box, uh, June 10th, 1973 at RFK Stadium in Washington, DC. This show was like the single show that was released everywhere from the box. So you may remember we did the same thing last year for the MSG show that was kind of like the carve-out show from last year's box set. And so we're doing the same. This, uh, This show is now available wherever you stream your music. So Apple Music and Spotify, Amazon. So if you haven't listened to it yet, go check it out. It's four hours and 41 minutes of music, the longest show The Dead ever played. So there is lots of good music for you to listen to on this show. And, um, and we're going to get into it. We're going to be joined by Zach Cropper from rock talk with Dr. Cropper, a great podcast in just a minute. And he's going to help us draft songs from this show. So this is not the normal format for a working man's pod show. Usually what Dave and I do is we get through this kind of pre-show segment where we talk about the show, the year, the venue, the tour, and then we go song by song and break it all down. But this show is a bit overwhelming. There are 31 songs over three sets almost five hours of music. And so we um, enlisted Zach's help to get through it in a more manageable way. So we're going to each draft five songs from the album, and then we'll spend a little bit of time at the end talking about the songs that we didn't draft that we think deserve some, some shout outs. So before we do all that, Dave, should we do some days between?
1: It's been a lot of days between, but yeah, let's let's do it.
0: So, so many days between, and at the same time, so few, because we were both here recording something over the weekend about the Folsom field shows, but anything in your days between that you want to tell the masses about?
1: Uh, Actually, yesterday, all the way to yesterday, I went to dinner at a little, little uh, restaurant in a podunk town called West Eaton, New York, the Roadside Inn, that had a bunch of great Grateful Dead memorabilia on the wall. A wow. whole bunch of posters of Jerry and show posters from, you know, either the area, like for example, Colgate in the seventies or the dead and company shows that I think the owner of the restaurant had been to, um, like for example, the Bethel woods one of 2021. So, I mean, no cell service in, in the place. It was like truly in the middle of nowhere, but had some good food, some good wings and had some good grateful dead stuff on the wall.
0: Very nice. It's, uh, once in a while, you get shown the light in the strangest of places if you look at it right. Right, exactly. So that's that's a great one, and I don't have anything that's quite as exciting, unfortunately. Um, a lot of our days between our last Working Man's Pod episode and this one, we've kind of talked about some of the shows that we got to go to together. You know, the fact that we've been following the Dead and Co tour. So uh, a lot of that stuff I've already talked about. Um, I guess my The really main thing to talk about in this Days Between for me is that next weekend, I'm going to be at the last Dead & Co. shows. Um, I'm not going to get to go on Sunday, unfortunately, because I bought the tickets to Saturday when it was still listed as the last show, and then we booked our flight home on Sunday, and then they announced a Sunday show, so... Um, I thought I was going to be going to the last dead and co show no longer the case, but I will be there on Saturday and Zach is actually going to be there. So he and I are going to meet up on Saturday and walk around the hate and see the old grateful dead house in the hate Ashbury and maybe check out golden gate park. So it'll be fun to see, to see another head there. Well, you know, to see a lot of heads out in San Francisco, but um, it'll be fun to meet up with Zach and, and walk around. So that's kind of on the docket for me next weekend, but um, we won't have an episode um until that's over. So um as far as the days ahead, we will have our, you know, regular episode about Friday night's Dead and Company show. And then we're kind of still debating what we're gonna do with Saturday and Sunday because I'm gonna be at the Saturday show, but I'm not gonna have any recording equipment with me. And so we've kind of discussed how we're going to do the weekend um Saturday and Sunday shows. And if we're going to do individual episodes or if we're gonna just save it for kind of a recap. So we're kind of still deciding that and we'll, we'll figure that out But we will be back this weekend for um, at least one and probably more episodes About the last shows of the Dead and & Co tour And then next week for like a, you know, um, recap of the whole tour So that's what's ahead and that's what's been in the days between And on that note, let's get on with the show you know it's get stranger. Let's get on with the show let's go. Thursday, June 10th, 1973 at RFK Stadium in Washington, D.C. This is chronologically the last of five shows that make up the Here Comes Sunshine box set. Des Moines, Iowa on the 13th of May. Santa Barbara, California on the 20th. Um, Happy negative 24th birthday to my brother. Um, San Francisco on the 26th of May. And then two nights in D.C. on the 9th and then this night on the 10th. Those five shows were recorded by Kid Candelario, Betty Cantor Jackson, and these two were both recorded by Owsley, Bear, Stanley. Top album in the land this week in 1973 was Red Rose Speedway by Paul McCartney and Wings. Week number two of three that it was on the top of the charts, largely panned album. Uh, The critics despised it, but Beatles fans still bought it because it was 1973 and it was Paul goddamn McCartney. (laughs) Right, exactly. This year is funny to look at the charts because both of the Beatles' greatest hits albums were number one for like a number of weeks. Mm, This one was number one for three weeks, and George Harrison had a record that was um, at the top of the charts for a couple weeks. So the Beatles were still very much on the forefront of people's minds in 1973. Further proof of that is that the top Billboard song was My Love by Paul McCartney and Wings. That's the lead single off of the red rose speedway record also week two of three um, at the top of the charts other songs that we love that were on the the charts number two was frankenstein by the edgar winter group number Mm. four daniel by elton john Uh, number 19 shambhala by three dog night i love that song okay Uh, and number 22 reeling in the years by steely dan birthdays on june 10th we have judy garland a legend Drummer Mickey Jones, um, you may know him from his work with Bob Dylan and many others. Um, I think, I think Kenny Loggins too. Um, look out, Ken Singleton, baseball hey, legend.
1: Nice, former Yankees broadcaster.
0: <laughs> yep, his birthday is June tenth. Um, and then uh, two more modern figures: Elizabeth Hurley, the actor, and um, Faith Evans, the, let's say R um, and B singer, and the former spouse of the notorious B I G history on june 10th 1935 alcoholics anonymous was founded by bill w and another guy whose name i don't know 1964 the u.s senate breaks a 75-day filibuster against the civil rights act can you imagine a 75-day filibuster (laughs) insane
1: that's that's a long time
0: especially when the the law that's in question is the civil rights act it was passed later on in 1964 um, so this break of the filibuster was a crucial moment in the civil rights movement in the United States. 2003 on June 10th, NASA launched the Spirit Rover, which began its exploration of Mars. So some cool and varied historical things that might be of relevance to to the masses.
1: Yeah, it, the only cool thing that I found was actually from the day before June 9th, but this was the weekend, at least, where Secretariat won the Belmont, and became the first Triple Crown winner since 1948. Pretty good. In 73, yeah.
0: I see Zach has just joined us, which is perfect time, because um, we were about to talk about this year in Grateful Dead history. Zach, we already gave you a little introduction, told the crew that you were going to be joining us. And uh, feel free to chime in if you have any thoughts about uh, the next couple points that we're going to make. We're still talking about the year and the venue and the tour, even though they weren't on a tour at this point in time. So 1973, Zach, you can probably tell us more because you've been on your pilgrimage of re-listening to the shows from 1973. But um, a couple of things that I wanted to point out for this year in Grateful Dead history, this was the year of that Pigpen died in on March 8th of 1973. It's interesting. One of the things I have not listened to this entire season of the good old Grateful Dead cast yet, because I like to listen to like the CDs and know what the music is sounding like before I listen to their episodes. And I haven't gotten through this whole box set, admittedly. But one of the things they said is that during their spring tour, when they had like all of the equipment listings and everything, they still had all of Pig Pen stuff on it. I guess maybe wishful thinking that maybe he would have rejoined them and then maybe they didn't want to just lose him from the their paperwork and stuff. So I thought that was kind of sweet that they had like oh, make sure you have this piano or this organ for Pigpen um, at these shows, even in like April after he he had passed. This is also widely viewed as the jazziest year in Grateful Dead history. So that is definitely a turn that they started to make. And I think Phil and Bill are the ones who are really pulling them in that direction. This was a year with an influx of a ton of creativity for the dead as far as songwriting goes. A lot of songs entered the fold in 1973. And throughout this box that you can hear many of them, china doll eyes of the world here comes sunshine it takes a lot to laugh it takes a train to cry let it grow slash weather report suite peggy o, Ro road jimmy they love each other all came into the mix in 1973 so uh definitely a period of of real creativity for the bands uh zach anything that you want to add about 73 for the dead
2: yeah um pig pen's passing it's interesting that the uh to speculate like the effect that that might have had uh cuz i always notice um a shift in the vibes kind of like a a decline in that sort of jovial youthful element that you hear still in 72 uh and part of it goes hand in hand with the decline in between song banter mm-hmm. which you already notice in spring 73 really starting a little in fall 72, not that much, but uh, it tapers off pretty rapidly after this. And after the hiatus, it became like pretty rare for them to talk between songs, uh, which continues to this day with Den Company. Yeah. Uh, and I've read speculation that part of that was more like so-called hard drugs entering the fray and they tend to make you a bit more antisocial, but I feel like it could also be just, you know, pig pens passing, kind of hitting them and it's almost like in 73 they're playing more um for their own you know like consoling themselves and each other as much as they are to be like you know putting on a fun show for everybody
0: Mm -hmm. it's interesting to think of it as somewhat of a loss of innocence i know that a lot of the members of the band had already gone through loss at this point like i think well jerry his dad passed away when he was a kid obviously and then he was involved in that car crash that he cited a lot in interviews about like a real turning point in his life where his friend died and he was extremely hurt. Uh, Phil lost his dad uh, in 1970 when they were recording box of rain. And I think that Billy lost one of his parents around that time too. And then Mickey had left the band. So it's not like they were unfamiliar with loss, but losing, you know, Pigpen, a brother in arms. And one of the people who helped them found this thing, I think that that would reasonably have a, a more profound effect.
2: I think the first time you lose a peer like that it's a little it hits a little different cuz like obviously a parent is very close to you but it's sort of expected that they'll they'll go before you even if yeah. not that soon but mm-hmm. yeah
0: yeah it's interesting you can no longer really deny your morta- your mortality when someone who's around your age goes so unexpectedly So yeah, that's, that's all interesting stuff. And, and we've talked a bit about this year, 1973. This is the first show that we've really talked about deeply from 1973. But interestingly, we've also talked about a show from this venue, RFK stadium before. So if you want to learn more about what this stadium is all about, go back and listen to our fifth episode about July 12th, 1990 at RFK. Uh, I will say one quick thing about it before we keep it moving. This stadium hosted the dead 15 times over the years. These were the first two shows. Um, in 1973 they didn't get back there until 86 Um, and then they played there a lot from the mid 80s through the early 90s so it makes sense that this was more of a home for them in like their stadium arena rock era whereas in 73 there needed to be kind of a bigger push to have a show at rfk and in this case it was them performing with the allman brothers so uh, a lot of great dead shows there over the years these were the first two
2: that's kind of like how they played Folsom field September 3rd, 72, and then didn't start going back more regularly for several years.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. One of the things I did hear in one of the episodes of the Deadcast that I heard was that they were talking about at this point in time, you know, shifting dynamics with the band and getting ready to launch Grateful Dead Productions and, you know, having the wall of sound that they had to pay for. Uh, They had these shows that they called like mega shows or something like that, where it was like, we need to, as much as we like playing in theaters and stuff, there have to be some shows that are like purely for economic benefit, playing in a massive venue and just trying to make a shitload of money to support, like not to get rich, to pay for all of this equipment that we have and stuff. Um, And so I think that that's kind of interesting. And you see that a lot throughout the summer because they weren't on a tour for these shows. Um, Just some scattershot shows around the country, really, in mid-73. Their East Coast tour... Um, in the spring, ended on April 2nd, and then their West Coast tour began in Vancouver on the 22nd of June, and these five shows are just in the middle of that, and they're all at big places, um, so it's kind of interesting that they took a break from their regular touring routine that they had been doing for the previous few years and, and did this instead.
2: Really? I wouldn't even consider those West Coast shows a proper tour because there's yeah. the three in the Pacific Northwest and then three in L.A., There's only actually only 15 shows between April 2nd Boston and September 7th NASA when they start fall, which is more of a typical like touring schedule.
0: It's interesting, especially given that four of those nights are these massive monumental like Watkins Glen and RFK, these events. Um, Rolling Stone magazine described this concert or this weekend as far less a concert than an event. Um, They were like, these are like, yeah, they were concerts, but this is an event. This is a scene um, happening at RFK Stadium. Um, I also think it's worth noting that Tuesday through Friday of this week, Jerry was playing with Olden in the Way down the East Coast. He started in New York and played like four shows into rural Virginia at a tiny venue um, the night before 6-9, so 6-8 of 73. And so he's playing these little venues as a banjo player on Friday and then Saturday and Sunday. Well, Saturday specifically playing in front of 55,000 fans at RFK stadium. I'm sure that was a bit of culture shock, but pretty cool. Um, Okay. So this show specifically second of two nights at RFK with the almonds and the dead, the bands first played together on July 7th, 1969 in Atlanta. So what's that? 54 years ago today yeah right um so oh, yeah yeah 54th anniversary of those two bands playing together for the first time these were the eighth and ninth shows where they played on the same night in the same place after this it was just watkins Glen with the full bands jerry and billy jammed with uh the almonds on new year's eve of this year um at the cow palace but it wasn't like a full band you know almonds play then the dead player or, or vice versa
2: i've listened to that show it's also very long not as long as this one but it's got some good stuff
0: Nice. Um, so these bands flip flopped. Saturday night, the dead opened for the Allman Brothers. Sunday night, this show that we're talking about, the Allman Brothers opened and the dead closed. Uh, they were co headlining the event. Night one, Doug Somm opened for both of them. And night two, Wet Willy, a uh, kind of Southern country fried rock band, opened for the two shows. Rolling Stone magazine did not like the show at all. This is from their issue that came out the following week. Quote, though they frequently displayed commendable instrumental virtuosity, the dead suffered from a relative paucity of musical ideas, which they compounded by playing for more than six hours. So it's interesting. Before I go on, I'd like to hear your respective thoughts high level on this show. Do you think it's a good, great, bad, <laughs> poor, fair, excellent Grateful Dead show? How does it, what's your overall view of it? Zach, go ahead first since you're our guest. Yeah, go ahead.
2: I would say I do think it's an all-time great. And when I initially became aware of it, I was already at the point where I knew better than to just assume that length equals quality necessarily. So I was like, okay, well, it's historically significant for the length and it clearly has a very unique set list. But does the performance actually match up with those... um, you know, things to recommend it by. And the more I listen to it, the more I think that it actually does.
0: What do you think, Dave?
1: I'm not as high as Zach, but I'm not as low as the Rolling stone. I think it's a very good, not great show. I think if you kind of to counter Zach's point, if you want length for length's sake, if you want, if you got a four hour flight and you want to listen to one concert on the flight, this is a perfect show and i think there are some songs for example eyes of the world which i'm sure we'll draft and talk about that we can get more into that but the playing is crisp and excellent i just i don't know that it's as good as some of the other shows from this early
0: 70s era yeah i'm i'm kind of with you dave i i think that if this show were just like dropped into 1972 i wonder if it would be in the top 15 of uh, 1972 shows um it might be close but I don't think that it I think that some of the charm of 1972, uh, compared to this vibe and then hearing things that I listened to a couple of interviews with Jerry from 1974 and 1975, where he was talking about like how uncomfortable they were playing in arenas in the beginning. I feel like I can pick up on a little bit of that. There's a little bit more sterileness, I think, at times throughout the show. But it is still, I mean, it's crazy to say that it would not be in the top 15 or maybe not in the top 10, I guess, of like 1972 shows, because it is a really good show. And I think that if you put it oh, into yeah. many other years, it would be like the clear number one show. And I also think that there are like so many special moments throughout this night of music. And like when you listen to it, there are so many things that stand out and make you like give you pause that um, it's pretty undeniably a a very good, if not like, as Zach said, all time great Grateful Dead show.
2: When I say all-time great, I don't think it's not my number one of 73. Mm -hmm. It might be my best of the year to this point. How many other 73 shows have you guys heard?
0: Man, quite a few, but I, I would still say like I think that there are at least a couple as I've listened to some of them on the anniversaries from earlier this year that I've enjoyed more than this i feel like they're just a little bit looser and i love for me like that is a big thing that i like in grateful dead music i've described it as like i like when it sounds like they are on a train that's like like on the tracks about to go flying off and then they like clank back on and start moving smoothly again so i like that more kind of chaotic uh thing that they have a lot of in in early 73 especially some of the eyes that happened in february some of those shows and then Mm -hmm. um in the fall, I think that there are a couple that I like a little bit more than this. There, also, some of the um, Pacific Northwest shows I'm I'm pretty fond of. So I don't know. For me, of the shows I've heard from 73, I'd say this is probably in my top five. But but yeah, not my number one, I don't think.
2: My top five for the year so far, I'll go chronological. Springfield, um, the, the Des Moines show from this box which I think might be the second longest show of their career. Yeah. Like it's 20, it's a full 20 minutes shorter than this, but it's still like massive. Yeah. Um, the show Vancouver and Seattle, I think Seattle might be the most underrated show of the year.
0: Wow. I got to go back to that one. That one, did they release that as part of the the box. box? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I remember really liking the Seattle and Vancouver shows from this year. Um, but I don't remember many specifics. Okay. We should get into the set list because um, we got to get into our draft. Before we do, I do just want to say one more thing that I found uh, from the Baltimore Sun the following weekend. There was another concert on Friday night. Um, and it's just kind of a funny time capsule to, to read what the Baltimore Sun's review was. Um, so this is a quote from them. The major complaint about Friday's concert has to be that for many, $6 bought them very little more than two hours of music. Many people spent more time going in and out of the parking lot than they did in the pavilion. In light of last weekend's Grateful Dead Allman Brothers concert, this is inexcusable. On Sunday of last weekend, the Allman Brothers played a solid three hours and the Grateful Dead played for seven hours. That is the way a good serious rock band should be. The idea is to play music and plenty of it, not just to grab the money and run. So it's funny to like think back on like, oh my God, this concert, you, you charged me $6 and you only played for two hours? What the hell? Um But it was a different time. (laughs)
1: Different time,
2: man. Yeah. So I'm sure you guys will be able to appreciate this. Like now as a content creator, I. so when you first discover these reviews from back in the day, you think like, what were these people? Like, what was their problem? But now you can kind of tell when it was one that like, they had no interest in this band. They just have to meet their deadline and fill so many words. And they're trying to like... (laughs) drum something up and like i can kind of sympathize with that with like some weeks you're like really psyched for what it is you're talking about and other weeks it's like okay i gotta do my best to make a quality product but like there is fluctuation in how much your heart's in it and i think that applies to the band too and that's something yeah. you can take for granted with like the causes of fluctuations in quality throughout a tour
0: yeah that is true. I did an inflation calculator and $6 in 1973 US would be $41 US today. And I think that if you could get a Dead Co. concert for $41, God bless. Um, it's just not happening. So yeah. uh, it's funny to think about just like, you know, how much things have changed um, over the years. But anyway, that's kind of a lot of the prelude about the show. What we're going to do, the three of us, is um, we're going to draft. Uh, the songs from this show there are 31 lots to choose from lots of different vibes lots of different things that we could get on our lists Zach you are our guest so we're gonna give you the first pick and to decide which of Dave and I are going to go second I'd like you to just think of a number between 1 and 30 and whichever one of us gets the closest without going over the price is right rules we'll get to choose where they pick Dave go ahead
1: hey it's July 7th so I'm gonna pick seven.
0: all right um price is right i should just go eight and get locked down that other number but i'm not going to do that because that's not within the spirit of the game um so i'm going to say 17.
2: well that was a lot of wasted breath alex because it was seven
0: (laughs) (laughs) all right there you go dave do you want to pick second or third um
1: I'm going to pick second. That's where I picked for the Vanita draft. The last time we did a format like this, I'm going to, I'm going to stick with it.
0: All right. Beautiful. So uh, Dave, will you keep track of our picks?
1: I got the Excel sheet up now. Yeah. Perfect. All right, I got one too.
0: Okay. Nice. Um, all right, Zach. Well, I think I know what you're going to take first, but I'd love to hear your first pick. So please lay it on us.
2: I think I know what you think I'm going to take. Uh, and uh, very surprising to me, even I'm not going to take dark star. I'm going to take Eyes of the World uh okay. which oddly enough is only 4 minutes shorter. 4 or 5 Dark Star is like 26 27 and this Eyes is 22 minutes. Um I think it's one of the better versions um it's a bit heavier than usual I think. Um the solos felt pretty um you know focused and purposeful and then uh it finds some interesting territory kind of on the way to the stronger than dirt jam in the outro and then after that they get into a really unique bluesy jam that i think is actually a precursor to blues for alla the title track and no one else had pointed that out on so i don't know if that uh is just me or if anyone else can hear that as well
0: I definitely agree. I didn't see someone making that specific reference, but I did see, I was looking at like reviews of the show and a couple people were like, the last five minutes of this are like really unique and great. And I think maybe that's what they were picking up on a little bit. Also, I
2: should say, since you mentioned a Rolling Stone interview, um, so you know how Kazar 526 is the middle show of this box. Mm-hmm. So Zeppelin played there like a week later, June 2nd. And that's where that famous picture of plant like holding the dove is taken. Uh-huh. Uh, and then they were in L.A. the following night and he dedicates. So I guess they had taken some crappy reviews from Rolling Stone for Houses of the Holy. And so he dedicates Song Remains the Same to the toilet paper that you read in this part of the country called the Rolling Stone. <laughs> so <laughs> oh, so they uh, the, the bootleg is called Wipe
0: with a Rolling Stone. Wow. Eat shit, Yan Wenner. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, nice. Well, I I am shocked that you didn't pick Dark Star, but um, Eyes is a great pick. Um, Dave asked me last night to look into if this was the longest Eyes of the world that they ever played. I could not find that in an accessible way, so I don't know. Um, but it's got to be I actually. There. Think
2: I think I heard one that's longer. Um, recently, I I was actually I think I still have the tab open on my phone. It's very close. Um
0: there's one, there's a ninety-one show that was a dick's picks. I'm not sure which one where there's like an absolutely monstrous ice that's I can't remember. It's in Greensboro, I think. But this one is is extremely long. I don't have like the runtime in front oh, of me right I know. now.
2: It was uh Springfield 74, June 30th, 74. It, it's like 2343.
0: So is that the one where they also, the song after that is jam? Like they it's Eyes Into Jam too? Uh, or do you, do you not know? Springfield it's, 74. It's not, it's
2: not an official release. If I think okay. the one you're thinking of is that Road Trips that has part of Des Moines and part of Louisville.
0: I think the one I'm thinking of is actually, um, I think it might even be in London in 74. There's one where oh, there's wait. sea stones Into Eyes and then there's a really long Jam after it. And like, yeah. So I never know like, well, is this technically still eyes or have they gone too far off the theme to even, but yeah, that, that one, you said twenty three forty three, Zach. Yeah. That's pretty, pretty huge. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. I just looked at the...
1: 22, by the way, you said you didn't yeah. have the runtime.
0: Yeah. Thank you, Dave. Uh, the one in 91 is from, uh, Dick's pick 17 and that one's twenty three twenty seven. So, uh, I think that you're right, Zach. I think that that's that one from 74 is that might be the longest but we're talking you know seconds at that point mm-hmm. um so yeah I mean it is it's it's quite long and satisfying Dave what did you think about this ice
1: I thought it started a little little slow but then when you got into the five minute range something that Jerry did I don't really know what it was but I was really more of a fan of the the second jam like the post to the first chorus um it just clicked with me better and then I I do think that the last five minutes are the, the peak of this. Like they start to do the thing to wind it down. And then it's kind of Jerry who's like, no, let's keep going. Let's keep, keep trying something new. And so those last five minutes are, are really excellent. And Phil like really just started unleashing everything he had. He was like, let's, let's do it. Here it all is. But I, I think Jerry's two peaks were like that five-ish minute mark and then the whole last five minutes of the song for me were top tier.
0: I think that um, it's kind of crazy that this version is like almost, if not more than twice as long as the previous night when they played eyes. And it was like 10 in change minutes. It's so impressive to hear them just like blow it out on six ten. uh I, This is what I would have picked if I had the first pick to Zach for what it's worth. I think this is tremendously good. And I think that um, I don't know how one could hear this and say that they were suffering from a paucity of musical ideas because they just took this in so many different directions. And really, um, it's like a it's an all time eyes uh, for me. I, I do think that it maybe it takes them a little while to get into it, but it's also the beginning of the second set. You know, maybe they're getting a little bit loose, a little bit warmed up. Um, so I think that they can be forgiven for that. I just think it's really excellent. And when you look at this segment of the show, the end of set one and the beginning of set two, it's just like as strong a uh, segment of Grateful Dead music as you'll find.
2: Yeah, I was look I was thinking about that in an eight song stretch they play Birdsong play in eyes here comes sunshine and dark star. Yeah. Like that's five heavy hitters.
0: Yeah. Well, <laughs> and even together. if you even if you so in addition to that, like going out just a little bit further, that they love each other that's right before. That stuff is like amazing. The around and around is really good in the middle of that stuff. The big river is, I mean, we're going to get into a lot of these songs, I think later on, but yeah, it's just like this segment of music is so powerful. Um, Dave, you have the second pick. So um, are you going to leave me dark star or what's going on here?
1: What do you got? I am. I am going to leave you dark star. Wow. Um, so part of the reason for this pick is that the music is just fantastic. And then the other part is a um, kind of just an apology to everyone else. And it's kind of inspired oh, nice. by your, um, <laughs> the way that you've come around on Tennessee Jed like when we first started the show, it was like episodes two through eight or something like that. Every show we talked about had a Tennessee Jed and Alex was just like, I'm so fucking sick of this song. Like I don't like it. Can we get over it? And over about a year, his, his mind came around to the, the goodness of Tennessee Jed a couple so months ago. I didn't play it this night. I know.
0: Actually, wait, can we pause on that for a second? Part sure. of yeah. what turned me was our first talk with Zach. Because Zach, you were like, the first lyric is like so evocative to me of like a night in the Southern United States on a porch, cold iron shackles, ball and chain like that. I'm just there. And I think it was shortly after that, that then Dave, we got into like another stretch where there were like five shows in a row where they were just like great Jeds. I was like, fucking A, Zach got me onto this. I didn't even realize that I liked this that much. But here I am living in the Southern United States, hearing the song and being like, oh, shit, I guess we're back to Tennessee. So do you have a favorite version of it? oh god i don't think i could i could tell you off the top of my head there have been a couple on this show that i've said my favorite version though um so let me get back to you on that
2: i might go dusseldorf i love the enthusiasm it's one of those ones where bob goes like wow when they're coming back you (laughs) know i do love that
0: Yeah. yeah there's one from the fall of 72 that i remember thinking was like unbelievable but i can't place it off the top of my head um anyways dave i apologize Go on with what you're telling us. I know where you're going with this.
1: <laughs> yeah. So a couple months ago, when we actually first talked about 73 for the first time, we had a big debate of which kind of they love each other is better. The 73 fast version, the post hiatus slow version. And I had really vibed with the slower version my entire dead listening uh, lifetime. And it's time to to come around and embrace the 73 version in full. And with the second pick, we'll take each other. Uh, Loved the, well, loved everything Jerry was doing. But what I really like about these quick versions is Keith. Because instead of doing like kind of more of a classic rock high piano, where he just kind of repeats the high notes, he goes like high to low to high, and it makes it feel more bouncy and upbeat. I just everything about this was great Keith in particular and it's my pick what do you guys think of it
2: I, I love it as well and I've always preferred the 73 versions and had the reverse which took me a bit to warm up to being played so slow I love that Dead & Co are doing it 73 style
1: Yeah and that honestly that factored in a little bit too um cuz they've they did it once in 6 years and now they've done it three times this tour so I think Dead & Company are are realizing too that for the 50th anniversary in 73 it's time to do it right so, so
2: what, I, what i've come around to the conclusion i've arrived at is that the two different approaches depict different stages of the relationship the 73 style is like the initial excitement when you first get together and then the slower ones are like they're relaxed like it's our 20th anniversary
0: yeah that checks out i uh I, I love that theory. And I also think I have mentioned this on this show before, but I heard someone say it's something that they really like about the song is that there aren't that many songs that are describing like other people's love in a very appreciative way of like, it's not like, oh, I love you or ah, my baby's gone. It's like they love each other. How sweet is that? It's so nice. Um, Lord, you can see that it's true. And I do think that's like a just a delightful premise for a song. This version is just over five minutes long and it's just great dave i'm glad that you've come around you've seen the light i think this is a great song i thought i might have a chance at this one for my second pick but um apparently not
2: i also love the message of like you know shutting out all the outside noise and like it's not about what everyone else thinks of you to whatever you do have and also the bridge that is exclusive to the 73 versions the like why don't you believe me everything i Say it's true. Every yeah. Every word I tell you I heard it first from you. I've always taken that to be like, you know, it's you the friend group told these people like, Oh, you guys would be so great together. And then they actually do it. And then they're like, oh wait, we don't like this so much.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Um yeah, I I think that um I think that, that that stacks up, that checks out. All right. So any other notes on they love each other before I get into my back to backs?
1: No, I'm excited to hear what you what you come up with.
0: Well, I mean, I have to take Dark Star. I can't believe that it's still here. I wasn't even, I literally I could show you guys my notes page. I don't even have any notes on Dark Star because I was so sure I was not going to be able to pick it. Um, so I am frankly flabbergasted that you guys have left this 26 and a half minute Dark Star uh, for me. Um, one thing that I will say, and I'll put a link in the show notes to this Dead Essays, a great website with um, Grateful Dead analysis. There is a really, really great blog post that he put up um, called the Proto Solomon Jam. And it's all about how in 72 and 73, there's this unique jazzy riff that shows up in other ones and in Dark Stars. And he kind of analyzes like, where might this have come to fill from? Um, there's like, was it from, uh, I, I don't remember the exact sources that he talks about, like could have been like the impetus for this to come. Um, but he breaks down in all of these different versions um, like the um, the other one from 8 72 and then the other one from 9 and now then the dark star from this night. He talks about like where it starts to come in. There's a truck in earlier in 73 where Phil plays it and I love the way that he talks about it. And once you he- once you hear it because he tells you like the minute mark of you know where this comes in um, and on this night he talks about how phil's teasing it after the 455 mark but the band doesn't commit and then at 10 minutes coming out of the bass solo it's a full-fledged band version of this pseudo jam this jazzy jam Was really compelling to me once i like read this article which is quite long um and then like picked up on it i was like oh this is like really unique but feels comfortable because it sounds familiar to you your ears can pick it up and go oh i like that I, that sounds familiar to me um i just think this is a a pretty special dark star in a period of time where there were you know lots of special dark stars so
2: i love that jam as well i've also seen it referred to as the elastic ping pong jam Ooh. on uh, 31 days of dead one of their posts this year and i thought that describes it well too yeah um but yeah i'm always like whenever i find a a version of something that has it i'm like oh jot that down because it's never like marked on the tape or anything right you just like if you happen to hear one it's it's a bonus um i also think it sounds kind of similar to clementine Mm. it's almost like a halfway point between clementine and king solomon's marbles um and of course the to do Clementine a bit more obviously in the Frankfurt other one in 72. So maybe that's where I feel like sort of remembered it. and
0: Yeah, that's interesting. I think that, that, that uh, dead essays talks about that too. So I think that, I think that you guys are simpatico on that point. Um, but that's interesting. What, what were your kind of global thoughts about this dark star? Zach, you are our, our leading dark star expert.
2: So, because it's so nebulous, I think more than any other song, you can notice the effect of like the circumstances of the show mm-hmm. on the performance, whether that's the venue, the time of day, all that sort of thing. Um, so being a, a broad daylight dark star makes it a bit different. Um, I think that you can notice a bit of like musical ADD almost as a result of like a bit tougher to like lock into a particular vibe when it's you know not the environment you typically think of for Darkstar, um but i think it's pretty good um and actually it, its prevalence in the set list declined pretty rapidly after this uh i like think there's only 18 versions in 73 yeah compared to 31 in 72 um and most it's more common in the first half of the year than the second half. And then mm. there's only seven in 74. And then of course it's super rare after that.
0: Yeah. Wow. That's interesting. I hadn't thought about that as far as like where this comes within their arc as a band with dark star. Um, this is kind of the, like you're saying the end of it being a really regular part of their shows. And um, then we're getting into just a different period of time with dark star. Dave, did you have any notes on this?
1: In, um you guys hit on a lot of them, but the reason that it doesn't surprise me that you'd enjoyed this because I want to read one of my notes. This rock and jam is all Phil and a little bit Bob picking up on what he's doing. But I mean, man, Phil is taking a ride to the wild side, not way <laughs> out in space, but it's careening off the railroad tracks and moving along to its own beat. And so you use that there analogy frequently to describe songs and shows you like. And so,
0: so it that out.
1: it's a perfect match here.
0: All right, nice. Well, we all, uh, we all got, songs that we're happy with for the first round. So let me begin the second round. I'm going to go there. are A lot of, I mean, still so many really good choices left. Um, but I'm going to take, man, I'm so torn between two one. I think there's a chance I could get later on. And this other one, I know that there's not. So I'm going to take bird song. Um, Mm-mm. the other one that I was thinking about, I think I might still be able to get in the third round. We'll see if you guys are as high on it as I am. Um, I really like this version of Birdsong. Like Zach was saying, this seg- starting with Birdsong, the next 8 songs that go through Dark Star, you just have like a powerhouse of uh heavy hitters like you said Zach. Um I think this is the beginning of that. The El Paso Garcia is like smoking hot. Um I think and then that kind of energy comes into birdsong i think a little bit especially toward the end the last solo that jerry has is just excellent and phil's playing at the end like the last like 30 seconds or so is like super effusive and happy sounding i really really loved it his amps are kind of struggling to keep up (laughs) throughout this song like you can hear that like a bit of just like distortion because he's just he's playing it loud and proud. just dropping bombs left and right um but I really like this. I also liked the jam after the chorus around 230. They go into a really exploratory place. And I, I love what Phil's doing there. And and Bob too. He's so persistent throughout this song. So I think this is a really good bird song. I'm happy to have it on my roster.
1: Nice. I got nothing to add. You you hit on them all. The Phil Bombs in the song were just just tremendous. Powerful.
2: I thought this one was particularly spacey and psychedelic by bird song standards.
0: Yeah, and not bad for, like you said, like it's still light out when they were playing this. Um, yeah. So for them to take it out as far as they do. Uh, Shades of Veneta.
2: And mm-hmm. another another one that would disappear from the repertoire for a while pretty soon after this, even sooner. I think there, like, there's a few more here in the first half of 73 and then only one or two in the fall, and then it's gone for quite a while.
0: Yeah, so uh, a, the last of a dying breed um Dave, you're up next. What's your second pick?
1: I am. I'm faced with kind of the same dilemma you are. There's a song that I'm hoping sticks around, but a song that I know is not going to stick around. So I'm going to take the Here Comes Sunshine with my second pick. I thought it was near perfect drumming. I thought it was also easily Bob's best playing of the night on the guitar. And Phil just kept up the good stuff. Uh, I loved the wah section jam in the middle. Um, and so here comes sunshine. I'm going
0: to grab the titular song from the box set. You can't go wrong with that.
1: Yeah.
2: I loved it. I actually had it ranked third in my like power, my big board for the show <laughs> <laughs> behind eyes and dark Um, yeah, I thought it was a little heavier than usual and, uh, really clean. It's one of those ones where even on the better nights, sometimes there's like a little spot in it where they. Like, unless you're paying attention, you might not even notice it, but like they slightly miss a cue or go out of sync, and like it usually doesn't throw the whole thing off. But there aren't that many where it's like all the transitions are perfect, too. But this one was really clean,
0: so I'm going to show you this. Um, Here Comes Sunshine was also my third in my power rankings behind Dark Star. Wow. The yeah, reason the why, top three, yeah, the reason why I didn't take it with my second pick, even though I mean that's a high value pick to get two of my top three at picks three and four. Um, but I just, this morning listened to Bird Song again, and I was so taken by it, um, this morning that I, I was like, ah, it was just on my mind. So I chose it instead of uh, here comes sunshine, but I agree, Dave, I think that's a great pick. Um, and it's a really good version. Interesting to have like this dead and co chapter of this extended bands run now, because there are a lot of songs that they dropped from the set list and didn't play that much that now they've really brought back and kind of breathed new life into "Lost sailor and sin of circumstance, probably most specifically because they barely played those. Um, But also here comes sunshine. They didn't play that very much at all as a band. I mean, it came and went real quickly in 73. And um, so it's cool to hear some really fun versions of that now um, with dead and co on tour. Um anything else on here come sunshine Dave before we get to Zach's back to backs?
1: No, Zach, what you got?
0: Yeah, you got two in a row. Uh
2: okay, two that I actually struggled to determine the order on, but now it doesn't matter. Uh, <laughs> so uh playing the band which um I don't want to say it's like that high on my board by default, but you know sometimes you're like there's a tendency to um, always give the longer songs the tiebreaker. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think yeah, this one is pretty quite jumpy and energetic. Like right from the start, the verses are taken at quite a clip. Um, Phil again was definitely in an aggressive mood, which I think is one of the the main thing, probably the thing that distinguishes him as a bassist is. Um, you can tell that he. Felt like full permission to be a lead player, yep. Which like most people would not sharing a stage with Jerry, but you could tell like it never crossed his mind that he should be taking a backseat to anybody. Yeah, um, but yeah, I thought it was a very good plan. Um, and Phil actually gets one of those big like wow sort of sounds out of his speakers that happens at the end of uh, Baltimore seventy two. The other one. So I don't know if he blows a cabinet here as well, but <laughs> um, convenient as it was the end of the first set anyway. Yeah. Um, and then for the other pa- or well, wait, hold on. No, Let's yeah, talk yeah, about yeah. I yeah.
0: I so I really like um, Keith. It sounds to me he's on his, his roads uh, during this song and I love his playing in playing in the band. I think it's excellent. Um, also just a nice Donna performance. It's interesting like now that we're into seventy three, and it's just like Donna is so much more comfortable in the band. Uh, you can tell she's much more willing to to sing up, to speak up, um, in these songs. And so I thought that this was a good song for her too. Uh, Dave I was would- going to point out that.
1: Hidden in this pick is an elite Donna scream in her first <laughs> scream. Just
0: excellent. I wouldn't ever say that's hidden, um, but <laughs> it is contained in the, in the pick for sure. Yeah. So we've now taken three songs in a row as far as the set list goes, bird song and plan and eyes. Um, so yeah, Zach, what's, what's next for you?
2: Box of rain. Nice. You know, not one you typically think of as a live song, one of the few in their repertoire that most people would agree. They never topped to the studio version, but I do think this is one of the better live versions. Um, I've seen people describe it as having a bit more of a country flavor than it typically does, which I could see. Um, it's one of those ones where they, um, like they sound confident and are, you know, like charging through it. As opposed to like you know remembering exactly how it goes as they're going through, um, yeah. Which you can notice sometimes with a like more intricate song, um. But yeah, it's confident. Phil's vocals are pretty good,
0: and and like consistent. There are some boxes, box of rains, boxes of rain, boxes
1: of rain. Yeah. <laughs> um.
0: Where especially even as early as like 1970, where you'll hear it and be like, "Does Phil remember how this song?" go like i know he knows the lyrics but like (laughs) his vocal delivery is so unhinged that i don't even know what he's really trying to do here
2: so i've talked about this with spencer actually my brother because he um well he was now he plays more bass he started as a guitarist but um so the the syncopation with if you think of the the instruments in a band like on a spectrum where like the drums are on one end and then the vocals are On the other, in terms of like most rhythmic and most melodic or like melismatic, right? Yeah. And then working up from drums, bass would be next, and then like the keys and then guitars, right? Um, but it actually would be a circle because the the actual singing part of the vocals is like the furthest end of the spectrum from the drums, but the rhythm of the lyrics is actually closely connected to the drums. Mm. Um so, a good drummer pays it like knows the lyrics and like does things you know, tinkers with the groove to accentuate the story anyway, um with bass being like further away from vocals compared to guitar, it makes the syncopation of doing it at the same time a bit goofier, yeah, um and so Spence was saying, like you have to pick which one's gonna suffer a little bit.
0: Interesting. And and Mm, he's like
2: I doubt that Phil would be likely to want to like dumb down his bass part in service of the vocals. And that could have been part of the issue.
0: That's very that's a great yeah. A further proof of this is Mickey rapping Fire on the Mountain. <laughs> I haven't listened yet. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So you can, I mean, you can hear their versions from like the nineties, even, and like some in the early two thousands and Mickey, when he did like, when he does like his own independent Mickey tours, he does it uh-huh. there too. So I've heard a bunch of them and it's pretty unhinged, but it is also funny that like his interpretation of this song that he did co-write. I mean, he is like a co He has writing credit on that song because he helped to develop the the beat is just so different from anything else you've heard because of, like you're saying, where the drums lie on that spectrum. Um, It kind of also makes me appreciate Dave Grohl even a little bit more. Um, Not that he plays drums in Foo Fighters, but he did on their early albums in the Mm -hmm. recording studio. Um, So, yeah, that's fascinating. Uh, I love Box of Rain. It's one of my, I, I i would be one of the people who says that they've, they never topped the studio version. It's just perfect. But I did think this was a, a nice version. Phil's vocals were a part of that. The beginning, I thought they got off to a bit of an uneven start, but then they find it um, and it becomes a really nice version. Actually, to this point in the show, like from Morning Dew to Box of Rain, I think Box of Rain was my favorite song in that run. Um, So I, yeah, I think that's a really solid pick. Dave, any notes, or are you just going to dive right into pick number three?
1: Well, I'll just shout out that there were beautiful Phil and Donna harmonies too. Um, yes. I agree with everything you're saying, and it's a fascinating. And once you now say it, I totally buy into that theory that your brother has too. So um, I
2: think it works best when Phil doesn't like over sing it, and just focuses yeah. on you know getting the timing of the cadences right and staying smooth.
0: Yeah, he definitely hits that mark on this performance for sure.
1: But the reason that I fist pumped on our Zoom when you picked Box (laughs) of Rain was you left a song that I I almost took in round two, but I'm taking here in round three. He's Gone. I really, really clicked with this version of He's Gone. It was Billy and Phil who pulled this along. um, And then, you know, Bob Weird all over it in like the second half uh, with his playing. Keith's playing and Donna's singing near the end, like kind of came together and made something special for me. And I think that this song kind of like for reasons you guys have already talked about a little more poignant this year with the loss of Pigpen. pen. So like versions of 73, he's gone. I think I know that's not what the song is about, but it's got to be in the back of their minds. And I think it means a little bit more.
2: Totally. This is actually the version of it that unlocked my appreciation of the song. It's one that I wasn't a huge fan of at first. I thought it was, could kind of drag sometimes and um yeah but then when i was listening to this show on the anniversary two or three years ago i think um suddenly it just clicked and i was like man this is really good um and oddly enough like it was longer here than when it debuted in 72 so it's weird that like stretching it out even further made me like it more but it did and i think the the outros where they really drag out the like, Ooh, nothing's going to bring him back on these 73 versions are maybe the best example of that, you know, playing to console themselves as much as anything. It's like a, a little group hug between them all.
0: I love that. Yeah, this is great. Um, there's something about what Keith unlocked with this song around this time because the keys are stadium. Again, I haven't listened to the whole box set, but I have listened to that show. And the He's Gone on the Keysar Stadium show is also like amazingly good. And Keith's playing is so strong in both that show or that he's gone and this he's gone. Uh, I think that there's just something about the way he was playing it around this time that's like just something special. Um, I think that, um, yeah, I think that's a really good pick, Dave. That was actually fourth on my um, on my hit list. I think that that was a very beloved version on Heady Version 2, if I remember correctly. Um, I,
1: I was going to talk about Mass's rankings when we were all done. Okay. Picking. Yeah. All
0: right, we'll get there then. Um, all right. I got two songs in a row, um, up next and I'm going to take the song that I, I thought would still be around for me in this pick. And it is road. Jimmy is my next pick. This is like my exact perfect tempo for road. Jimmy. I love the song. Uh, I've talked about it before, how like this is such a weird song to play on drums. The tempo is strange and like the, there's like an emphasis on the third um, measure that's funky and like a bit reggae ish, but just super fun to play once you understand like what it is. And um, I love like putting headphones on and playing along on my kit with set with one drummer versions of this song. I just have a really good time with it. Um, I thought this was a really nice version. Bob's rhythm and Phil's playing and Phil's rhythm throughout the song are both excellent. They're both just like super on it. And They take very few moments off like there. You can pretty constantly hear them throughout the song, which I really like something that Zach, you pointed out to us last year about 72 and something that makes it really special is that Bill is more comfortable with his whole set um, in 72. He starts to go away from the Toms a little bit more in 73. And as I've listened to 73 shows, I've heard that this one is maybe an exception because well, it's not an exception, but when he uses his floor tom on this song, he uses it really effectively, and it adds a lot. It like It's just enough heft to bring to this mix, but he's using it sparsely because he's just all over his cymbals um, throughout the song. So I, I really liked his playing. I thought it was pretty interesting. Keith's playing, I noticed more on the back end, but I do love uh, his piano on this song. I think that it sounds really good, and it's crazy that I've gotten through all of that and not even mentioned Jerry's playing, um, which is typically excellent um, on the song. I know that he said once that this was his favorite Grateful Dead song to play. And so yeah, I'm sure he always had fun. Short little solo, just packed full of soul around like the 215 mark. And twice I thought it was going to come to an end. And then he just kept going. It was like he was having too much fun with it. So I loved this version of Road Jimmy and I'm very happy to have it um, among my five, my five picks.
1: I'm glad you brought up that timestamp because that two to three minute mark of this song, I think might've been
0: some of the best playing in all of set one. High praise as a drummer zach what do you think about this song
2: well you're right it is goofy and you can tell <laughs> listening throughout 73 that billy was still trying to figure out like how best to tackle it even after mm-hmm. wake of the flood comes out in the fall he still tinkers with the approach um the probably my favorite show of the year ucla november 17th That one, he plays it much more busily and like lots of ghost notes throughout on the snare, Um, which I actually don't love as much for this song. But um, yeah, I thought this was a good version of it.
0: That show is Bill Walton's first Grateful Dead show. He was a student at UCLA at the time that's I've always thought that was kind of a cool one to just picture it when I'm listening to that great show at Polly Pavilion being like oh man and Bill Walton was here as like a seven foot tall 19 year old <laughs> yeah I've heard him talk <laughs> about
2: that because they I guess they had practice in there the next morning and uh John Wooden was like in the locker room was like, what's that what's that smell and he's like oh don't worry about it coach. <laughs> don't worry
0: about a coach <laughs> yeah yeah that's great stuff um all right so I've got a second pick after Jimmy, and I feel like I've got to take this one because we're getting to the end guys like after this Dave's got a pick Zach's got his final two picks Dave has another one and then my last one and I'm a little bit worried about one of you guys taking this one from me so I'm going for it I will be the first one to dip into that third set with Dickie Betts and Butch trucks give me that's all right mm, um good, I, pick, good pick I love this version and you know it's probably more of a conversation for almond man's pod to get into like what the almond Brothers played this night and get into you know the intricacies of 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 the almonds. But to me, this song in that final set is the one where we get the best interplay between Betts and Garcia, um, and between Kreutzman and Trucks. I think that their chemistry is the best in the song too. There are moments where it seems like Jerry is kind of joining Dickie for some very almanish licks and lines, but he's also, oh, yeah. he's deferring quite a bit and letting, um, and letting Mr. Betts kind of lead the way, which is just so satisfying to me. I really loved this um, this song, and it's not one that I had a ton of history with or really much familiarity with, and so it really kind of just floored me how much I loved it.
2: It definitely drifts into Jessica territory toward the end.
0: Yes, exactly. Yeah,
1: very. I think it's like 9.30, Mark. It's like very clearly they're playing an Almond Brothers song now.
2: bad gets very almondy as well
0: yeah so we'll talk about this set probably more as we go but for me that was the high point of like their interplay and so i'm i'm very thrilled to take that song um any other notes about that before dave goes next
1: i i agree i think that was the highlight of that third set although zach did bring up the going down the road feeling bad which also there are I mean, a lot of positives.
0: I think that maybe your mileage may vary with that set. I don't know if, how much everyone loves it, but I really like it a lot. And I think that there are a couple of very high moments throughout it, for sure. It,
2: it's not my favorite of the two covers, just in terms of like the songs themselves, but it leaves more room for jamming. And I agree, it made the best use of that unique lineup.
0: Yeah. All right, Dave. Uh,
1: yeah, yeah, I actually agree with that 100 percent now that, now that you put it that way yeah uh, okay well I was thinking about taking that's all right and then you swiped it away for me so I'm actually going to take a song that kind of like how with song you listen to it this morning and uh it found its way on your board This song was the same thing I listened to it this morning had a great pre-draft combine and has now made a final push and that's El Paso.
2: Todd, 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 Todd. At
1: <laughs> least <laughs> so I had to go Mel uh, at some point. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> yeah, this El Paso had some energy. It it had got a little sauce at the end from Jerry, and I don't know. Just it was as impressive as how hot they made it. They wound it all the way down right before right before Felina goodbye. So something about this El Paso just. Really clicked with me.
0: It spoke to you. That's totally fair. It's also interesting that now that you've taken that, we've got like every song: "Road Jimmy," "El Paso," "Birdsong," "Playing Eyes." Um, that's a real serious run. I mean, right at the beginning of this, we were talking about how that's like as good a set of Grateful Dead music, like that segment, and I think that our picks are 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 indicating that as well. Um anything I I mean yeah Jerry was just smoking on on this performance anything for you on El Paso Zach um
2: I agree that it's a really good one but also like the the margins for like differentiation from one version to the next are a bit smaller with El Paso so I think yeah I I had it uh number 26 on my big board which is more saying more about the songs ahead of it than like saying it's bad but no it It's one that I like. It's just like, you know, the one that they played two days later is probably like close to as.
0: Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. I I get what you're saying. Yeah.
2: Not that they played two days later, I
0: know, but. No, but I hear what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Like you were saying, there's kind of song to song differences on a song like El Paso or around and around. There are a bunch where it's like, eh, how much better or worse are many of them than the others? They're the real standout versions, and then they're the real standout versions the other way. And then most of them, like 90%, are somewhere kind of in the middle.
2: Like beat it on down the line. Most of the time in my notes, I could just write beat it on down the line was played.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair. Uh, All right. Well, that gives you your final two picks. Of- yeah.
1: And is one of them going to be beat it on down the line? <laughs> <laughs> no.
2: No. Yeah. I. That one I only ranked ahead of drums, and that was, uh, and that I was. you
0: disrespecting drums.
2: It was drums' battle to lose, but I thought, but I thought, I thought Butch was a bit heavy-handed, or should I say, heavy-footed, uh, with the bass <laughs> drum, uh, led to some clunkiness. <laughs> oh, there's my dishonorable mention. <laughs> uh, okay, uh, I'm gonna take. It takes a lot to laugh. It takes a train to cry because it's one of my favorite Dylan songs. And when I discovered that they had played it this one time, I thought like, oh, that's pretty sick. And I do think they they do a good job with it, and it's an interesting cover, just not as much room for jamming as That's All Right had. But uh, yeah, I think Jerry's vocal interpretation of it is good, as it usually is with him and Dylan songs. And I've thought about this. I think part of what makes Dylan such a great artist to cover is they're incredibly well-written songs that are like obviously, but they're fairly easy to outperform.
0: That checks out. It's interesting to hear what Bob Dylan says about Jerry that he's like, he like hearing Jerry sing some of my songs, like made me reappreciate them and like want to play them more. But it's also fascinating to see the number of dead songs that Bob has covered on this tour that he's on right now, the rough and rowdy ways tour because yeah. he's going deep in the like dead and associates (laughs) canon, he covered a couple weeks ago um only a river which is a bob weir solo song from 2016
2: wow well have you you seen the rumors he's gonna show up in san fran next weekend
1: oh my god and that and that's why he's been he's been practicing dead songs so that he can play with them i've seen that yeah
0: i haven't seen that that would be nuts can you imagine oh my god that would be sick you're you're just going to the sunday show zach Mm -hmm. yeah i'm just going to the saturday sir so i mean hopefully one of us gets lucky if he shows up on friday it's going to be some some sad heads on saturday (laughs) and sunday
2: (laughs) i mean imagine maybe a little appearance all three i don't know
0: that would be amazing man that would be so cool
2: it's all over now baby blue encore somewhere in there
0: oh that would be amazing god now i really hope that happens
2: the thing is though I I would be more interested just for the significance and like to say that I saw him because I don't think he sounds particularly good these days.
0: No, he sounds rough. I totally (laughs) agree. I, I know that like he's a legend and also he should be entitled and empowered to play live as long as he wants do whatever you want to do and if people want to go see him more power to you it's just not something that i would really want to do like i heard his what his first version of Truckin' from uh, japan and i was like oh, yikes <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right.
2: it's funny it should be japan because i a few years ago I, when i saw that van halen were touring, i was like oh maybe i should check that out like i wonder what they sound like these days so i clicked on their tokyo dome 2014 release or whatever and clicked on Panama because that's my favorite song <laughs> and,
0: ooh, the, <laughs> yeah not good the, not good stuff
2: when I got to the the burning down the avenue line it, it was just like
0: it's
2: <laughs> <Just laughs> like one giant little voice crack
0: that's so funny uh I will say for for Bob Dylan an absolute I mean the, like maybe the legend of American songwriting if you want to go see him on the rough and rowdy way shop I am not, uh, you know, trying to demean or, you know, cast aspersions. That's amazing. I, I, we should be so lucky to see Bob Dylan in San Francisco, right? Like, uh, don't get it twisted, but it's just, you know, you gotta acknowledge the, the change over the years and that's okay. It's part of part of life. We should all be so lucky to live that long and still be doing things that we love
2: for sure. And what's interesting about like Bob's comments on Jerry interpreting his material and stuff I mean, for one, I always respected his lack of relative lack of ego about his own catalog. Like somebody mm-hmm. asked him about uh Hendrix's version of Watchtower, kind of assuming that he would disparage it. And he was like, oh, I love it. Like, that's how I would have done it if I could play like that.
0: Yeah, there's a there's a great comment that he has, too, about um, shit. Who was it? Not Motley Crue. Who's Dave knocking on heaven's door in the 90s? It was like a number one hit.
1: Guns and, um, guns and Roses Guns and
0: Roses Yeah they asked him about apparently there's in one of their books they talk about like meet running into him Bob and like backstage somewhere and they're like hey you ever heard our version of knocking on heaven's door like thank you for letting us do that do you like it and he was like i like the money (laughs) it's just like (laughs) don't really care about your version but i do like how much i'm getting paid for it and i always thought that was kind of a funny like different era of bob the breadhead trying to just make as much money as he could just like whatever i don't care but that goes to your point of like i if guns N' roses wants to cover my song by all means Mm -hmm, go right ahead
2: but yeah what so with jerry i think one of his strengths as a as a singer is um really convincingly embodying the characters in the story like the and part of that is hunter's lyrics too but and you can tell just from the merch and like the references within the community and stuff that um they really did create a like a little world and Mm -hmm. going dead show is almost like going to disney world how there's rides for different movies that you've seen right like um Anyway, so I think he does a really good job of making these characters seem like real people, which is kind of different to Bob as a singer. He keeps himself, like, very at an arm's length. For, mm-hmm. And you always get the sense that he's, like, kind of messing with you and, like, oh, maybe it's autobiographical, maybe it's not.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. Um, yeah, Jerry's, when he sings, feels very lived in. Like, I'm thinking of Warfrat, Rat, obviously, for a number of reasons. But, like, there are a lot of songs like that where, yeah, you're right, it's like, is this jerry singing is he the you know what? what's going on yeah that's a that's a, that's a good way of thinking about it
2: or to use Red Jimmy as an example the broken heart don't feel so bad you ain't got half of what you thought you had like that's one of those lines where you can tell like oh that's straight from the heart yeah
0: yeah absolutely so okay hold on you just took it takes a lot to laugh it takes a train to cry i believe you have one one pick left Zach. i do final selection
2: uh, i do i'm torn between a few um
0: yeah still lots of good options
2: I'm going to violate my big board, actually. Well, that's a poor choice of words. I mean, I'm going <laughs> to... <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to... Deviate. Deviate from, yeah. <laughs> from my big board. Um, w- Next up should have been Morning Dew, which is a great opener and, and always kind of sets the those, like, you're in for a special treat tonight sort of vibes from the start. Um, the only time they open with it in 72 is... The middle night at the Stanley Theater, which ends up featuring the Addicts of My Life bust out and Dark Star into Cumberland. I think one time only, like lots of cool stuff. Anyway, so it definitely has that effect here and is a good version. But I'm gonna go. I'm gonna skip over Sugar Mags and warfrat as well, which I think are really good versions. Um, and go with Stella Blue because I have more to say about it. Um this is one that I actually didn't like uh, when I first heard it and it took me a while to warm up to it. Um, but I finally have, and I think this version is really good. Um, and I'm glad I had already opened up to it before going to Chicago because they played it night one and coming out of drum space. And like, if I had seen that when I first got into the dead, I would have been like, Oh man. But I was like, Oh yes. Stella Blue, And, It's, I think it's the most like earthbound of the Jerry ballads. Like it's, it's not spacey or ethereal at all. It's like kind of like driving around in the rain in some boring, like middle America, like place, you know, and it's the only song that's ever made me crave a cigarette. (laughs) I feel like that says everything you need to know about like the vibe of the song. I don't even, I've, taking like one puff of a cigarette in high school just to like prove that like yeah i didn't think i would like it so i don't know what it is but like yeah stella has that effect on me
0: that's fascinating what yeah. do you think dave
1: i i don't know how i could put it more better than that i just jerry's vocals on this song always impress, but truly impressed here and i don't know something about it coming out of eyes set to opens eyes into stella blue and like eyes kind of faded into a dark place. And then Jerry kind of keeps you there emotionally, but Keith's playing kind of juxtaposed that a little bit. So that I think kind of helped, helped enjoy this a little bit more um, was its location coming
0: out of eyes. Yeah. I, so another one that we've now taken in this run of songs, I, I, Also, I really like Cell Blue. This is my wife's favorite uh, dead song. And um, I think part of that is driven by in the Long Strange Trip documentary where it shows up. It's when they're talking about like the dead in the early 90s. And it's this great version, I think from 1990 or 91. There's a certain poignancy to this song in the later years. Hearing all the years combined, they melt into a dream from an older Jerry with, you know, wizened looks and gray hair. But um, it goes to show what an old soul he always was that he could sing that with authority in 1973 just as well as he could in 1990 uh, as a young man. And um, yeah, I thought this was a really powerful version in the set that I like, the the segment of the show that I thought was the most powerful. I think that's a really good pick.
2: That's one of the reasons why I uh, I actually even prefer Bob's treatment of a few of the Jerry ballads these days, because like Standing on the Moon, for instance. I love it really benefits from being like old yeah but
0: the big shock of gray hair and the white beard right. yeah it helps
2: <laughs> well actually speaking of dude did i tell you guys uh at the second night in chicago like everyone else kind of disappeared into the background and it's just bob bathed in this like green light with the fog and the way the that's light amazing. was hitting his hair, it, he looked like Jerry, and the shadows made him look like a little more portly too. I had to do a double take. Honestly, I was like, oh,
0: "Wow, that's wild! That's really cool." It was neat. Yeah, that's that's really cool.
2: But yeah, with Stella Blue, I mean, dust off those rusty strings one more time. Might as well be Bob's
0: like motto these days.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh God. Yeah, some nights more than others, especially with those rusty sounding strings. Dave, this is your last pick. What do you got for us?
1: My last pick. I am also going to violate my deviate from the draft board. (laughs) (laughs) Better put that explicit tag on Yeah. (laughs) I was really high in the the US blues, the wave that flag in set one. I've already got two songs from set one, though, and I think it would be a disservice to not take a song that has some allman brothers appearances on it so i'm gonna go with the going down the road feeling bad i just i loved how they jammed it out and incorporated there's like a two minute stretch where i like they are they are not playing grateful dead music they are playing allman brothers music and then they like weave it back in and so musically so impressive and then you've got another classic rock staple on stage with you it's you gotta it's gotta be represented on your board somewhere So I'm going to take that going down
0: the road feeling bad. Nice. Zach, it seems like you were quite high on this one too, among the songs in the third set. What did you think about going down the road feeling bad? It's one
2: that trends toward an Almond's sort of sound to start with, even when it's just the dead playing. So it's a natural choice for the guest appearance. Um, Yeah, I thought it was really good. Definitely. Um, where Toward the end where we'd usually take on the... uh, like the cold rain and snow teases and the we bid you good night sort of tease that went almonds instead mm-hmm. but yeah yeah i thought it was good <laughs>
0: I think that in the in the not fade away sandwich too, you kind of add that that DNA to this one. Bob is really cooking with gas. He wants this whole jam, this not fade away sweet to move. Um, He's really kind of pushing it, and I like the like way that he's playing it too.
2: Also, consider like they're starting this after the four hour mark in the show, yeah, like probably just after, and you know some seventy two versions of the sandwich like 10 or 11 minutes this one's like 30 minutes
0: (laughs) i know (laughs) it's pretty crazy and it's (laughs) like the yes the four-hour mark for the dead which means that the almonds like dickie and butch had been off stage for like six hours by the time they come back off and because they had to probably clear the stage get everything set back up dead first set set break second set set break and now they're back
2: oh yeah like they could have had a full full night's sleep almost backstage oh, yeah. before
0: they... they could have driven up to baltimore checked out the scene there driven back and then uh been back in time for this wow well, that dc traffic i don't know
2: uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> middle of the night maybe
0: yeah um all right so that leaves me with my last pick and the last pick of the draft um i'm taking um big river so while this is a song that i would usually agree like the nuances are minor and the differences between a Good big river and a great big river might be minute. I think that this is a really rollicking version. There are great moments by pretty much everyone in the band. I love Bob and Phil. Again, their rhythm throughout this song is I think really good. And um, there's a really great Keith solo about halfway through the song that I really like. And then Jerry is just cooking like the bead string analogy that we, Dave and I love so much that we read in the, the liner notes to one of the CDs last year. This is a full song beads, bead string. He's just adding beads until the bead the bead string overflows by the end of the song. Um, I think this is a really good version. And I had this identified as my last pick because I didn't think you guys would probably take it, but it actually ends up being like double, doubly nice because we've now picked all of these songs in a row. Road Jimmy, El Paso, Birdsong, Playing in the Band, Eyes of the World, Stella Blue, Big River, Here Comes Sunshine. No One Took Around and Around. And then we had Dark Star and He's Gone. So, um I think it's pretty evident that the end of set 1 the beginning of set 2 is really what what stole our hearts in this great super sized night of good old grateful dead music.
2: Oddly enough we each took two from set 1, two from set 2 and one from set 3.
0: Look at that. It's beautifully balanced. Wow. Yeah. Well, good job by us. Uh, any so that's fifteen of the thirty-one songs that were played on this night. So there are lots more that we could talk about. Um, we've kind of touched on a lot of them throughout the the show, but I'd like to um, ask your thoughts on a couple more. Any thoughts on "Ramble on Rose" from set one?
1: Yeah, I thought the work from Bob was excellent, and I thought Jerry kind of gave it like a little little extra stank on the mic. He was it sounded like he was kind of trying new things out mid mid song um and then i actually had written down to ask you because this is alex's sister's favorite dead song yeah so something we do on this show is uh try to get the moat vote for the ramble on rose
0: her vote was a definitive thumbs up she said that this was her second favorite version that she's ever heard
1: whoa okay
0: yeah behind um new year's 78 at winterland it's a great ramble on rose yeah that one Um, so she hasn't heard a ton. She went to the city field show with us, uh, last summer and Ramble on Rose was the first time that came over. She was like, "Oh, I love this. And so then she became a a Ramble on Rose head. And, um, so now every time I find one, that's kind of interesting. I send it to her. I'm like, what do you think? How's this one? And, um, yeah, shout out to my sister. She sent me a picture last week. I got her a Ramble on Rose t-shirt for Christmas and she sent me a picture of her in a rose garden wearing the shirt. So she has gone full, fully deep into her her status as a rosehead. um huh. uh, zach do you have any other thoughts on ramblin Rose?
2: it's one i've come full circle on i loved it when i first heard it then i got bored of it now i'm coming back around to it uh i'm glad you drew attention dave to jerry's you know enthusiasm or uniqueness of the vocal delivery because um like it's a pretty repetitive song with not a lot of like you know, room wiggle room structurally. So the only real variables are the energy and enthusiasm like that. So I do think this is one of the better ones.
0: Yeah. And I mean, on the longer side, um, almost seven minutes. So also you get, you get uh, your money's worth on it. Um, uh, A couple other songs I wanted to ask your guys thoughts on, um, because we talked a little bit about morning dew and uh, Dave, you talked a little bit about wave that flag slash us blues um but uh one song that you just kind of mentioned in passing zach was sugar mags and so i wanted to kind of talk about that end of set two Truckin' and sugar magnolia what were your guys thoughts on uh those two and were they close to being on your board
2: yeah they were close and it's an interesting jam suite um from a sequencing perspective it's kind of backwards and inside out in this like so he's gone and Truckin'. and much more typically paired with the other one than dark star mm-hmm. um, and they usually start the suite but because dark star also usually starts its suites as opposed to coming in the middle of, like the other one mm-hmm. then it goes dark star and then you get he's gone like midway and then warfrat which is typically at the end kind of in the middle and then trucking like in rotterdam where it's like right near the end yep and then Sugar Mags would typically close it, but yeah. So I I thought the jumbled order was interesting to start with. Um, sugar Mags in particular, I think, was a good, powerful version. This is a good era for it, um, but you know, some just click better than others. I thought this was good.
0: Yeah, that's well said. Some some definitely do click um, better than others, and I think that I love the pairing with Truckin they're songs of a feather. They're from the same era. They have similar energies in a lot of ways. And I actually really like when they played them back to back. So I thought that this was when I saw that this was like where the set list was going, I was like, Ooh, I like that. Let's see, let's see what that sounds like. And I think that um, I think that it, it paid off and was, it was pretty satisfying.
1: With the truck in, I mean, you kind of don't even realize it, but you are floating along on like in space or in soulful music for about almost an hour. Cause it's dark star and he's gone and Warfrat. It's about 50 minutes. Mm-hmm. And so the like Keith piano slide right at the beginning of Truckin' kind of woke, woke me up a little bit again. And I was like, Oh yeah, we're now we're back up and dancing. So I appreciated like the, the upbeat tempo and like the, the flip and the switch of like, okay, we had our soulful spacey songs and now we're up and dancing again.
2: Which is kind of the same effect it has on American beauty most sure. of side to like ripple broke down addicts She like very soft and contemplative and then it's like i always think of it like an encore sort of album closer where like addicts hmm. is the emotional climax and then it's like the lights coming on at the end of the movie
0: yeah i like that i think maybe they stumbled upon that theory with working Mans and they were like let's have a nice upbeat ending note to this album too um Nice. Well, so overall, a show that I enjoyed, I'm really excited to listen to the rest of this box set. There's just so much music. And knowing that we were going to record this, I wanted to give this song its proper due. So it's really taken a lot of my focus in the weeks since I got the box set. Um, But I'm excited to listen to more. Zach, when you were doing your 73 listen-along, did you save these shows knowing that you were going to have official, beautifully mastered versions?
2: I did. And I listened to the box in order and like, just finished listening to this show this morning. Actually, I like started it last night and then started falling asleep. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh,
0: I'll be excited to listen to the rest of this box set and I'll be excited to listen to this season of the good old Grateful Dead cast to hear what they have to add to these shows because they're those shows are so good. There's always so much great information in there. So, I'm really excited to listen to that too. I guess that's kind of gonna do it for us. Any last thoughts from you guys?
2: I had one other honorable mention, kind of a surprising one, actually the Johnny Be Good Encore that's not an afterthought at the end of a four and a half hour show. Like it's a really hot version.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah.
2: One of the better, more enthusiastic uh, uh, Chuck covers I've heard in a while from them. So,
0: yeah, I agree. I, I did like that too. I, um, didn't have any really specific notes about it, but I did just thoroughly enjoy listening to it. I actually listened to that at the gym and then like hit rewind. And I was like, I like this. This is upbeat. Let's get it one more time. And so I, I hit it a second time for like the last five minutes of my workout. So that's also a good sign that it can be that upbeat to motivate you. Mm-hmm. Um
1: The number 32, Johnny B. Good on heady version, which played it a lot. So that feels high.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Dave, speaking of which, do you have any heady version notes for us as we wrap this thing up?
1: Well, yeah, there's a lot. But what I wanted to do was just see if you averaged out all of our draft picks. Like, what would the masses have thought of our yeah. collective average? And all of us did great. We all had a score below 30 on average. So we're all, like, collectively on page two, on page two which is just quite high. Uh, Zach, you had a 29.0 average. Alex, you had a 27.6. And I had a 22.4
0: Damn, um, nice. and that is
1: including uh, both of your set three picks so that that's all right and it takes a lot to laugh it takes a train to cry. yeah not songs they played a lot but but those are the number one versions on heavy version. Um, wow. and so you both got some good stuff there
2: um I I haven't done those like averaging out the ratings for the full shows for a while now because it takes a long time but I did run the numbers for this show at some point last year and for the whole show at that point it was a 42.6 wow. um which there are so a few from 73 that are much higher than that at least at that point um but that's you know it gets conflated a lot with like popularity and which ones have been available in good quality for a long time and stuff huh, so right. i'm sure this one will climb now that it's officially released but
1: Yeah. What impressed me about this to that point is that a lot of these songs were so highly rated, like the day the set, I looked both of the day the set came out and then yesterday. And a lot of them, there actually wasn't a lot of movement because a lot of them were so highly rated at the beginning. Um, which I think is a kind of a testament to wind it all the way back to the beginning of your point about the masses think this is a great show. And so I think your appreciation Zach is is spot on in the way to go.
0: Nice. Um, Okay, well, that is going to do it for us. Zach, why don't you tell, we gave an introduction to Rock Talk before you joined us, but um, where can the people find your offerings?
2: Uh, as far as I know, anywhere you can hear podcasts. Apple, Everywhere. Spotify, all the usual <laughs> suspects. Um, yep.
0: Rock Talk with Dr. Cropper. Uh, go find it.
2: You can also hear it in the drive through at the... Uh... <laughs> the starbucks near here <laughs> you want to take um, a trip um, up uh, to canada or if you're already there go find him um actually i have a funny story about that one of my supervisors she was like oh my mom was talking to her co-worker and told her that i work at the starbucks and her coworker is like oh i love that one guy in the drive-through there you know with the really husky boy <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> sounds a little husky.
2: Yeah. I love that from April 8th. Of that.
0: Husky? <laughs> Why yes? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's great. All right. And uh yeah. All right. So that is gonna do it for us. and Dave, anything le- left from you before we sign off?
1: No. Thank you so much, Zach. We appreciate it.
0: Yeah, Zach, thank you. This is you are by far our most frequent guest. So thank you for coming back on again. Um, we love talking about the Grateful Dead with you. Oh, it's a
2: pleasure, likewise. Thank you for having me.
0: You're welcome. Well, on that note, we will bid you good
2: night.
1: Love you the best. And I'll bid you good night. Good night. Good
0: good night.
1: That's it. That's it. You got it.